Welcome to another episode of Yesterday's Capers. I'm Abdullah Molim, and every week I'm bringing you the very best shows from the past that the world has to offer. It's Babies Week as we talk Dino Babies and Muppet Babies, and we've got a hell of a main event for you. We're finally going to talk about Rugrats. That's right, it's been a long time coming, and we're going to try to break it all the way down. And without further ado, let's let's get started with the show. And uh, joining me as ever, it's producer Paul. Hey man, how's it going? I'm all right, thanks. I'm all right. It's been a, a hell of a newsworthy week. Did you see what happened to Christian Eriksen yesterday? I saw that he collapsed and that he's doing well in hospital. Yeah. I, d- I d- have no idea what actually happened. Um, obviously, I, I wasn't watching the game. It was, um, yeah, it was Denmark versus Finland in uh, Euro 2020. And yeah, he was just playing football. And then the next minute, he just fell to the floor. And it was one of the most surreal things you're ever going to see. Because you just had the cameras rolling. And obviously, I think the BBC were like, this is UEFA's footage. But it was like, take it to the studio. Like, why are you yeah. showing everything? And you had, I think, his wife on the pitch as well. Oh, really? And the Danish players, like, forming a protective ring around him while he was, like, the doctors were saving his life. I think the doctors, yeah, confirmed that on the pitch they saved his life. So was it like a cardiac arrest kind of thing? Yeah, it must, yeah, it was, uh, must have been. Because, yeah, the, you had, like, defibrillators, you had CPR, all of those things. And I think uh, you had to like clear his airway so that he doesn't swallow his tongue. I think one of the players might have actually done that. Simon Kier, the captain of Denmark, I think he might have been the one to have done that. Oh, really? Yeah, and it was it was one of those surreal things where, because I remember two times when um, Mark Vivian Foe, this was like in two thousand one, I think, and he just collapsed on the floor and just had a heart attack, and I think he he didn't make it. And then there was Fabrice Mwamba in 2012, where he was, I think, for almost two hours, he had nothing, heartbeat, nothing, nothing going for him. But luckily there was a, a doctor in the stadium that day who he wasn't even supposed to be there, but he just happened to be there, happened to be a doctor, got them out of there. And it's one of those things where I think they caught it quickly. They had all of the, every, every everybody's brains was, like boom boom quick boom quick quick that's all big credit to i think both doctors of finland and, and denmark everybody like acted so quickly and yeah thankfully he's stable now in hospital it's weird because you don't associate that sort of thing with elite sports people really do you, you think these people are at the you know peak fitness peak health um, you don't expect something like that to happen to these these kind of it just guys, yeah right? it shows yeah it shows how fragile life is because yeah he and and the thing was is mad because before it happened Denmark were dominating the game looked like they were going to score at will then that happened and then somehow some way they because I think they spoke to Ericsson while he was at the hospital and the players agreed to go back out and play. Finish, finish of the game, yeah. And Denmark lost the game, 1-0. And, yeah, one of them missed a penalty that Ericsson probably would have taken because he's the uh, the talisman of the team. And, yeah, he's, like, the most important player and everything. And it was, yeah, it was just 
it's just surreal. Absolutely surreal. So is that Denmark out of the Euros or have they still got a chance? Well, they still have to play Belgium and Russia in their group. But yeah, their their heads wasn't in the game. I think it was uh, clear clear for all to see. Like they just they just wasn't. They weren't. They were there, but they weren't there. Yeah, well, that's understandable, isn't it? To be fair, it's yes, yeah, 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 totally understandable because you had the players in the ring and they were just shell shocked, in tears. Like, what the hell's happening? Because like you'd have thought you're thinking he's dying. He, he he might he might not make it. There was a period where you thought maybe he might not make it, and then there was a picture that did the rounds where he had his he was sitting up and he had his head he had his hand on his head and. You're thinking, okay, hopefully, maybe it's going to be okay. And then, he, yeah, he's at the hospital. He's having further checks and, 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 and things like that. So, yeah, hopefully, yeah, it looks like he's pulled through. And, yeah, hope, hopefully he'll make the quickest and speediest recovery. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, wish him all the best. Yeah, him Absolutely. and his family and all the team, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, we both had our first uh, COVID Jabs. jabs. We are now one half inoculated. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, and I mean, we don't really kind of talk about this sort of thing on yesterday's capers. But I'm sort of glad I had the Pfizer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think it's worked out conveniently for us because obviously. I don't actually think there's anything wrong with Oxygenica, but they thought just to be on the safe side, you can either have Moderna or you can have Pfizer. Yeah, I mean, when you looked at it percentage-wise, I think it, I'm sure it worked out at something like the chance of having like an adverse, like, you know, like a blood clot reaction to Astra was something like 0.0001 or something like that, you know. When it when it terms of how many people were affected and how many people were were vaccinated and it was tiniest percentage, um, you know what the main thing about Pfizer for me was like looking at the efficacy ratings of Pfizer versus Astra. I don't think it's that much though, is it? I'm sure. Yeah, I think it's actually quite big. I think in the young people, it's not that different. But when you introduce like I think because when they did it like in a kind of flat age range. It wasn't that different, but I think when you introduce like the more vulnerable people and things like that, then it did go a bit skew if. But um, yeah, I'm I'm still glad I got like the Pfizer jab. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, like I said, it was con- it conveniently worked out in that in that respect because I think yeah, it, m- pretty much everyone in my family has had the uh, the Oxford jab, and they're absolutely fine. They're absolutely fine. They double jabbed then everything uh, worked out, but it was just one of those where, okay, just in case for sort of under 40s, if if there might be a little chance, then... I think it's a lot of peace of mind as well. Like um, a lot of people, like, like I said, the percentage, you probably got a bigger chance of having a worse reaction to like ibuprofen or paracetamol. I'm pretty sure that's true. But the problem is that the, 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 um, the vaccine kind of, people are scared of having a vaccine anyway, right? There's a lot of like... Uh, you know, different um, kind of theories going around and things like this. So I think the uptake is low. And then with something like that introduced to it, it's probably going to be even lower. So, you know, they give people a chance to take another jab just to keep the uptake high. That's my theory. 
Well, I, that, it does make sense. But honestly, this is our best chance of beating this, is the yeah. vaccines. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's our best chance by a long shot. But the thing is, like people said, <clears throat> someone said to me, um, oh, why'd you take it? Because you're young and you're healthy and this and that and the other. But I was like, to be honest with you, I don't even want a cold. Like, never mind COVID. Yeah. So yeah. why not take it and just not get it? It's Yeah. It's one of those things. It's just, it's, just it's, it's, it's our best chance of beating it. It is. It just is. It's our best shot. I don't know. I don't know what else there is. And yeah, June twenty first is not happening. I don't think. Uh, to be honest, I don't even know why they even they even said that back in like I don't even when they when they put that roadmap out when they put it there. It's like why why bother? Why even give people the hope? Because we just say look. When it's safe, we open the doors. If it's not safe, we won't. And you can see the cases rising and going like crazy. Uh, yeah, because they're trying to offset it with the vaccine rollout. And I mean, but you're going to run out of time. But just tell me it's not because people are just going out just like, because they're getting this feeling that they're near the end, you know, and then people are just letting their guard down and this and that and the other. I, I think it's stupid to put a date on it. Just say like, look, we'll we'll do it when we when we can and when it's safe to do so. If we see yeah, the yeah. see if we see the cases going up and people getting sick, well, then we'll we'll lock you back down again. I think that's fine until we get out of this mess. Yeah, it should be data, not dates. Right. So yeah, let's 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 get started right away, and we're gonna start with the Muppet Babies, and this first came out in September nineteen eighty four, and some of the things happening in the world. Brian Mulroney is sworn in as Canada's 18th Prime Minister, succeeding John Turner. Britain and China complete a proposed agreement to transfer Hong Kong to China by 1997. President Reagan vetoes sanctions against South Africa. Amadeus was in the cinemas. And Human Racing by Nick Kershaw was in the charts. Muppet Babies now. So this is all commonly known as Jim Henson's Muppet Babies. So it portrays childhood versions of the Muppets living together in a nursery under the care of a human woman identified only as Nanny. The whereabouts of their parents are never addressed. And the Nanny appears in almost every episode, but her face is never visible. And only the baby's view of her pink skirt, purple sweater, and distinctive green and white striped socks is shown. The idea of presenting the Muppets as children first appeared in a dream sequence in The Muppets Take Manhattan, which was released two months before Muppet Babies debuted, in which Miss Piggy imagined what it would be like if she and Kermit the Frog had grown up together. Muppet Babies was produced by Jim Henson Production and Marvel Productions. The rights are now held by the Walt Disney Company, which separately acquired both the Muppet characters and Marvel. The baby's imaginary games transition from the nursery into scenes that become real to the babies, such as finding themselves aboard a pirate ship or in the land of Oz. Often these fantasies are filled with stock footage scenes or live action clips from popular movies such as Star Wars, Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones. Each episode contains a related musical number. When the pretend game becomes too perilous or when an interruption occurs, often in the form of nanny checking in, or the imaginary game straying too far from its original premise, the scene dissolves and they find themselves in the nursery once more. The, the central idea of each episode is the power of imagination. Sometimes the babies use their imaginations to solve a problem. 
when Nanny's newspaper is accidentally ruined, the baby's right to their own newspaper to replace it. But occasionally their imaginations run away with them. Overhearing Nanny's phone call to the garbage collector to help her decide which armchair to donate to charity leads to the baby's fear that one of them, which was thought to be fuzzy, is going to be thrown away. Other frequent themes involves the babies coming up with new ways to play with old toys, imagining what life would be like when they're adults or facing common childhood first, such as a visit to the dentist or a new addition to the family. Nanny is the voice of reasons, congratulating them on their creativity or soothing their fears. Muppet Babies proved highly popular and ran from 1984 to 1991, a total of seven seasons. At the height of its popularity, it ran in two or three episode blocks. Even after the conclusion of the series, it had remained so popular that CBS continued to air reruns of the series until the fall or the autumn of 1992. Approximately 100 of the songs are co-written by Alan O'Day and Janice Liebhart, with the exception of the theme song and Rocket to the Stars, which were written by Hank Saroyan and Rob Walsh, and Dream for Your Inspiration, written by Scott Brownlee. The song that played during the end credits was laughingly titled Hank in a Box, in deference to Hank Saroyan. The show was a critical success during its time on the air, and the show won four consecutive daytime Emmys for Outstanding Animated Program and won a Humanitas Prize for Children's Animation in 1985. Muppet Babies was voted top cartoon of the childhood days by the Irving Hall Newspaper Weekly Review of the Pennsylvania State University in 2007. In January 2009, IGN named Jim Henson's Muppet Babies as the 31 best in the top 100 animated shows. The, the series stars Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear, Animal, Scooter, Skeeter, Ralph the Dog, and Gonzo as the main puppets. Dr. Bunsen, Honeydew, and Beaker made regular appearances, as did Camilla in the form of Gonzo's stuffed baby chick. And in the final two seasons, Bean Bunny, Statler, and Waldorf began making regular appearances. Several Muppets made guest appearances, including Janice as an older preteen, a Kermit's nephew Robin, a young tadpole. Scooter's younger Scooter's twin sister Skeeter was unique to the Muppet Babies animated series, having no live puppet incarnation. The reason Skeeter never appeared as an adult Muppet served as the basis of a sketch on the adult comedy Robot Chicken. And a reboot of the series premiered on Disney Junior on March 2018. And as opposed to the traditional animation of the original show, the reboot instead uses CGI, but it's still targeted to children ages four to seven, with each episode consisting of two 11 minute stories. So Muppet Babies. Um, I don't like the Muppets. So this um, was gonna be a tough watch every single day of the week for me. Um, not even Kermit. No, no, Kermit's not endearing, Kermit's not cool, Kermit's not funny, Kermit's just annoying. Um, the voice, don't know what that's all about. Um, yeah, never been into the Muppets. Really? Uh, the only thing I'll say about this one is that um, the theme tune reminds me of uh, the Grease, one of the Grease songs. So, um, and I did research this. I don't didn't know this offhand, but it's uh, We Go Together. I'm not sure if it was meant to sound like it, but it did. Um, so I had that in my head <laughs> for like for a long time. Um, this sound quite 1950s doo-wop style, doesn't it? One, one thing I'll say is uh, the new animation I thought was quite good. And I figured out, do you know, like, 
Oh, is this you liking CGI? This is a collector's item. Yeah. So actually, I was I've, I've been having to think about this. You know, like we, we were talking about Fireman Sam. You know, getting a reboot and this and that and the other. We talk, spoke about it in a previous podcast. And so one of the things I found out about Fireman Sam is the animation is super super cheap. It's not even a good reboot. So what hope did it have anyway? This is obviously Disney's thrown everything at it. So it actually looks quite good, and it's not that jarring to watch. I am a hundred percent in agreement with you because I didn't like, I, I mean, look, I like Kermit the Frog. I like Miss Piggy. I think they're funny and hilarious, but I didn't like the Muppet Babies and I could not disagree more with some of those stats that I was reading. How many? How many daytime Emmys did they win? Did I say four consecutive daytime Emmys? A Humanitas Prize for Children's Animation. Top cartoon of the childhood days. You're kidding me. That was the best. That was the best. How could that be? But the thing is, it's just probably riding on the Muppets' coattails as well, like in its own right. That's what it is. And the reason why they probably got seven seasons was because it was called Jim Henson's Muppet Babies. And... Look, fair play. The, the, Jim Henson has done a, a brilliant job bringing these characters and bringing them to life and, and, and all of those things. You deserve your flowers. You deserve your props. But Muppet Babies, it weren't it. No, I, I agree. Um, but the thing is, like, how many cartoons have we seen that w- w- were like canned after a season? They were actually pretty damn good shows. Yeah, we probably covered a few of them. But what, 1984, you couldn't find other... There weren't other better cartoons? I'm sure there was. I think the Chipmunks were were, were, were just starting their run, and they were pretty damn good. There was lots of... I think Scooby-Doo was still running. Give Scooby-Doo all the awards. Shoot. Yeah, there's definitely a Hannah and Barbera one out there. Well, I think they, I think, I think they had a, yeah, a few out not, there lurking. As, as long as it's not bloody Johnny Quest. Leave Johnny Quest alone. Leave Johnny Quest alone. He's got, he's got nothing to do with Johnny Quest. So like, why are you dragging him into it? What do you do? <laughs> I mean, it, I think Johnny Quest is my mighty mouse thing, whatever it's called, biker mice from Mars. He's just sitting there minding his own business, and you're just bringing him up for no reason. All right, let, yeah, let's talk about episodes so we could uh, right. get um, this over so with. I did, I think, the first one of each things, and... Noisy neighbours, right. So Muppets are playing boats, they get told off for making noise, and there's a policeman next door that's not happy because he's working nights. Kermit and Miss Piggy say, let's tidy up. Miss Piggy's reading to Animal. There's a castle, Princess Piggy, she wants lots of food. Then someone wants to defeat the dragon to the night came. There's Kermit, Fozzie and Gonzo. Uh, Fozzie tells joke to the dragon and gets mashed up. Gonzo throws down his gauntlet. Now, I, I didn't know about this. I didn't think this... I knew what a gauntlet was. But I didn't put the two and two together. When, do you know when someone throws down the gauntlet? And then, you know, I didn't get that. And then anyway, so he threw down his gauntlet. Uh, Kermit comes, dances with a dragon. The kids woke up the policeman. So they play music loudly again. Gonzo goes and watches Superman. Now he's in the show. Saves the day. Animal joins the show. It's like a mismatch of like uh, Superman and King Kong and stuff like that. So policeman's now gone to work so they can be noisy and everyone falls asleep. Uh, so the kids are playing. The nanny comes and think. Uh, nanny comes and uh, she lost her thingy, so she looks in the closet for her jumper. Kermit is a knight. Animal is a troll. Piggy is a fairy queen. Fozzie is 
something with a bow. Uh, they go in the closet. It's like a cave. They get chased by a boulder. Kermit is running away and finds a castle. Dragon comes and is scared. Kermit and the dragon go together. They fly. They sing a song. They're friends now. Kermit explains the dragon is scared of the dark. They all say what they do when they're scared. Kermit admits that he's scared. They said they should have said. The nanny finds a sweater. Kermit turns the light off and is brave now. That's the end of that first bit. Uh, Animal flies a plane. The kids are drawing. Animal wants to eat the paints. He goes mad. Ruins Kermit's drawing. Now Kermit is sad. Animal draws a plane. Um, Nanny's favourite place is Paris. So they all pretend to go in a plane. Animal's not allowed in the cockpit. Um, Obviously pre-9-11. Animal, uh, Kermit is dizzy, can't fly anymore. Piggy says says pigs don't fly. Fozzie tries. He's not that good. Uh, Summer tries, she listens to the radio, flies into a storm. Animal takes over and saves the day, lands in Paris, and only brings the croissants. Moral is don't underestimate people. And that was my two episodes. I ended up watching two more. So I watched one from season two, which was When You Wish Upon a Muppet. So yeah, Kermit and Miss Piggy are at the fair, and she wants him to win prizes. One thing I will say is that there were little flashes where I thought this was hilarious and I thought it was really, really good. Like tiny flashes, like one minute out of 20 odd, however long. That's another reason as well. I thought it was way too long. Yeah. So, oh yeah, 23 minutes. I don't know how they filled 23 minutes with uh, with that. And um, and yeah, but the Disney one did all right with like 11 minute episodes. That was like tons better. I think they improved on that. But back, yeah, 23 minutes was way too long way too long i'm sorry you can't be making me sit a baby program for like four to seven year olds you're gonna make them sit there for 23 minutes just yeah no no you can't you, you can't be doing that but yeah anyway season two when you wish upon a muppet kermit and miss piggy yeah they're at the fair she wants to win in prizes and so he's going to like all these different games and then they're like oh Animal, do a drum roll. And instead instead of doing a drum roll, he's going inside of the drum and he's rolling down the hill or something like that. And so he doesn't win the game, so he has to go somewhere else. And then Kermit has to throw a tomato at Fozzie when he tells jokes. And so obviously he's uh, really bad at telling jokes. That's like the running sort of thing. One of the jokes he told was, why did the apple kiss the banana? Because it had appeal. I'm quite a fan. I'm a fan of dad jokes, man. But come on. <laughs> and Kermit's like refusing to throw the tomato because he's like, "That's my best friend. I'm not going to throw a. I'm not going to throw a tomato at him. He's my best friend." And whatever Kermit voice that was. And so Animal has a game where he has to like fish for prizes. And Kermit fishes for a magic lamp with a genie. And so they're imagining that they're on a cruise to New York using their imagination. And I think they were complaining about Miss Piggy's weight. And they're saying, oh, the sofa's like an ocean liner or something along those lines. And then Fuzzy has to make a wish where he tells jokes in a movie, but he still can't get into the movie screen, but he has to run for it. And then the other Muppets have to try and save him inside the film. And, yeah, the, the car won't start when they're trying to go. And then Miss Piggy just goes to the front, just whacks the bonnet, and the car goes off. And Kermit, it's Kermit's turn to wish. For, he's, he, he, he's unsure as to what he wants to wish for, something special. And then Skeeter wishes for a pony. 
and they end up in the middle of a race. Fuzzy tells another bad joke. And obviously Miss Piggy is like to Kermit, yeah, what are you going to wish for? And Kermit flips him. He's, he's like, oh, she's like, oh, Kermit wants, Kermit wishes that he wants to marry me and be with me forever. And Kermit's like, that's not exactly my wish. And I'm like, Kermit, be careful. <laughs> oh, Kermit, Kermit, Kermit. And Kermit's, and you know what? He's like, oh, don't worry. Um, the the wish won't count. And he's like, oh, we're going to get married anyway. We don't have to make that wish. I thought, okay, good save, Kermit, good save. And Gonzo, he wishes for a kiss from Piggy, but doesn't quite get it. And Kermit's wish was that they all stay together forever. And they show like a little clip of them all being all grown up. And then that was that episode. Last episode I watched was Old Matt Kermit Had a Farm. And Bunsen basically has Twister and they all play. And then Animal eats the mat. It's snack time and they're hoping that Miss Nanny left them blueberry muffins, but they're all gone. And obviously Miss Piggy's like, what happened? Why did it all run out? And then the nanny's like, yeah, because you ate the last three. And then they're imagining that they're in a supermarket and they're looking for muffins and they're heading to the bakery section. They get lost in the fruit section and they have to go on foot. Miss Piggy turns blue once they're in the frozen section and asking the penguin for help. And they're sliding down using ice cream bars. They finally make the bakery section, but all the muffins are gone. And Kermit suggests that muffins start out at the farm. I like how Kermit was in full farmer gear and he's farmer Kermit. Bunsen is looking after the harvest and they're making lots of muffins. There's a muffin tree and Fuzzy's looking for muffin seeds, but they end up being plant seeds and they're planting, sorry, bird seeds. And then the birds that come out of the plants fly off with Fuzzy and Skeeter and the muffin crop goes missing. So Scooter says they have to make muffins from scratch. Gonzo says egg comes from eggplant and they can't make muffins. And they have to go to the egg factory. And, they, and obviously you go there and it's got an Easter egg department and you can make square eggs. And Fuzzy is making comedy cream pie instead of muffins. And they're finding ingredients to make the muffins. And Miss Piggy is the milkmaid. No blueberries. So Fuzzy uses silly gooseberries. And they keep playing tricks and getting away. But they manage to trap them in the end. And then finally Miss Nanny comes in with muffins and snacks for them for their snack time. And that was the end of Muffet Babies. It's a show that obviously came out riding the coattails of another show. There were little flashes of stuff that I thought was great. It was hilarious. And I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. But in the main, yeah, this, this, this was not for me. Yeah, I mean, I don't like the Muppets, so it's hard for me to um, to be kind to it, if you see what I mean. <laughs> Dino Babies now, and this came out in September 1994, and some of the things happening in the world. Russia and the People's Republic of China agreed to de-target their nuclear weapons against each other. The 1994 World Series is officially cancelled due to the ongoing work stoppage. It is the first time a World Series will not be played since 1904. Heather Whitestone is crowned the first deaf Miss America and then she's crowned in 1995. Pulp Fiction was in the cinemas 
and the rhythm of the night by Corona was in the charts. Have you heard the? Uh, I'm sure I've mentioned this probably on the podcast before. I think we've done quite a few things in 1994, but um, the uh, the radio station. If you type in the Reebok or the Nike um, radio station thing, someone calls in and says, "I want that song that goes, I want the Reebok, Reebok and the Nike." Um, and they're like, what are you talking about? And they and they said, oh, you mean the rhythm in the night? And they kind of play it. It's really funny. Good stuff. So yeah, Dino Baby. So this was a Irish, American, Canadian, British collaboration. And it's an animated series about six baby dinosaurs who share stories and adventures. It was broadcast on many international stations, as you can imagine. But the show had little success in the United States. In 1996, however, the series was syndicated across the country and the show had somewhat better success in Canada where it aired on YTV from 1994 to 1999. In Asia, Dino Babies was aired in English on Dubai 33 and the Pan Regional Star Plus while the series was aired in Hebrew on Arutz Ha Yeladim. If I said it wrong, I apologise. In Hindi on ZTV and in Chinese on Star Chinese Channel. In every episode, Dino Babies put on their imaginative spin on a classic tale from Dak and the Beanstalk to the Abominable Snow Baby. As fun as these flights of fancy were, they always had something important to say about the dinosaurs themselves and the world around them. By acting out classic tales, the dinosaurs learned valuable moral lessons. Characters. So there was Truman, who was the group's unofficial leader and storyteller, a bespectacled blue brainiac with a tuft of orange hair, La Brea, who was the only female dino baby, a headstrong purple dinosaur with blonde hair, often challenged Truman's authority, but she was a good friend at heart, though occasionally gets angry and short-tempered, probably best known for saying two phrases, the more famous, I told you so, used whenever something went wrong, and the less frequent, would you evolve? Used whenever something suggested something very silly. Stanley, who's a green dinosaur with red spots. He's a bragger who often runs into trouble. He also likes collecting rocks. Franklin, who's a timid, hesitant purple dinosaur, and he occasionally shows signs of bravery. Marshall, Franklin's little brother, a brown diaper-wearing daredevil dinosaur. He sometimes gets upset due to being the smallest of the group also known by the nickname Marshy, and he also likes using the phrase okie dokie. And Dak is a blue attention-starved petrosaur. While he often plays tricks on the group, they remain friends all the same, and he usually calls the rest of the group groundlings because he's the only one that can fly. Ah, <sighs> dino babies. This was a little bit, my, up, little bit more up my street. Um, I do like dinosaurs, massive fan. And I, def- I watched this as a kid, so, I, you know, it's a little bit familiar there so yeah I, I i think i enjoyed this one i thought the animation was good the morals were good it wasn't the best cartoon i've ever watched in my life but it, um, it certainly wasn't the worst so yeah i said what i said when i said that this was a one cartoon yeah one show podcast uh, uh dino babies yeah i watched this as a kid remember it very well on cbbc used to be one of the first things that comes on uh yeah, I, it was all right. That's about as more that I can stretch it to. And that's me being nice by saying it's I. Right. I think if I had some of the best people from Ireland, America, Canada, and the UK 
and the best I could come up was this, then uh, I don't know. I'd 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 be like, yeah, I'm not green lighting this show. Maybe that's why too many cooks and all that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like that might be the case. But yeah, if all those people came to me and pitched Dino Babies, nah, 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 nah. I'm telling them, you know what? Dinosaurs, good concept. We'll go back to the drawing board. Yeah, I did uh, Jurassic Arc, Dak and the Beanstalk, and When Dinos Saw. So uh, Marshall's throwing rocks off. He wants to give a present for Stanley for his hatch day. Um sees a shiny one, which is like a gold, causes avalanche, and it all goes in the sea, and he thinks all the ground is falling in the sea. Stanley is opening his present. Everyone just gets him a rock. Lebray gets him a pet rock, and then he gets a boomer rock from someone else. Franklin... Oh, yeah, Franklin was the other diner that was there. He's scared. Franklin is building a boat to hide on because he thinks all the ground is falling in the sea. Everyone comes and, like, gets on board to try and um, stay safe. Apart from Lebray, he she doesn't want to. Pterodactyl comes and gets on the boat. The break and Geeky One comes on board and the little bird pecks the boat free. They go down the waterfall and float away. Franklin only thought about food and now there's a storm. Everyone thinks Franklin's saved everyone because of the storm and everything. Um, the storm's battering the boat and they end up floating on a raft uh, because it destroys the rest of the boat. Uh, then they kind of float back home and then the Brea says, I told you so, because she said that the ground wasn't floating away. And then everyone chases Franklin. Uh, next episode was Jack and the Beanstalk, where Truman's telling a story about the thing, about the, you know, the kind of Jack and the Beanstalk. That boy takes an egg home and then it hatches into a beanstalk. Then the Bray says no, because eggs ha- don't hatch like that. Um, she tells a different story and he gets beans instead of an egg. Truman continues, the dinos climb the beanstalk and find a golden egg. Um, there's a giant dino, Dak. Um, he comes, he captures one and wants to eat them. But it's scary, and they change the story because of Marshall. Um, now, Dak is giant is a giant egg with legs, and the egg tries to chase him, falls down the beanstalk, or breaks. Truman continues again, says, "Back to Dak now." Um, he captures all except the baby. Um, uh, so, which is Marshall, obviously. Marshall is free. Dak tickles him with feathers, and they go to get another one. Baby rescues them all. Try to get an egg, and then get chased. Dak falls down and flies off the beanstalk. Oh, yeah, fall, falls off the beanstalk, but then flies off because he's got wings. Um, and then they think the beanstalk is growing, but it's a flower. And they're like, oh, oh, it's only a flower. But then they walk off and the flower actually eats a little animal. Uh, when Dino's saw, so Dino's having a scavenger hunt. Franklin and Marshall are, all, are almost at the thing where they've got all the scavenger bits. Franklin climbs a tree and gets stuck. Um, Dak is sleeping and goes to see him. Gets him and takes him higher. Oh, oh yeah, he's, he's rescuing him. So he takes him higher and then takes him down. Uh, Franklin makes wings because he's scared of falling. Uh, La Brea is a naysayer and saying, you'll never fly. Stanley catapults him and he lands in a nest. Um, then Mummy Pterodactyl comes and boots him out of the nest. He uses palm leaves and a beak to fly. It actually works. Uh, Dan come, Dak, sorry, Dak comes. Franklin's scared. Dak says, I'll catch you. He flaps, away, flaps his wings and now he can fly. Uh, now, so D- Dak says, you can play with me because you can fly now. Um, and then he gets him to be mean to the other ones because he thinks he's better. Franklin t- uh, ties up a big dino, then crashes, and he gets stuck next to the big dinosaur. Uh, Dak does a runner, and then the original friends save him. Uh, and he says sorry for being a donut because he thought he was better than them. And there were the three episodes that I watched. Right, okay, so... You talked about Dak and the Beanstalk. Yeah, the moral of that one was what 
comes up must come down. So, okay, what did I watch? I watched The Princess and the Pauper. So, yeah, basically the dino babies are at the ocean and Dak is trying to invite them to the other side, but obviously they can't fly and they all wish that they could fly. But Truman says it's not always fine being someone else, so he tells a story about the princess and the pauper. And obviously it's based on the story, The Prince and the Pauper. Love that story. That's that. That that story is my joint. The Prince yeah, and I'm, the I'm pretty sure we spoke about this before, right? I yeah, I do love the Prince and the Pauper story. I remember studying the Tudors, and it was around that. Yeah, year, right? so, yeah really good it. story. It's a cracking story. And so the princess wants to go and play, but can't go because she has royalty and she has to learn. But obviously, she just wants to play with the other Diana babies. There's a pauper, and he has no money, and he wishes that he could be in the castle. He runs into the princess and she offers him a bed in the castle and the pauper obviously snatches up at the chance. Princess is playing games with pauper and they're having fun. They're dressing up and then they realise that they look very much alike and it would be fun to live each other's lives. The pauper is struggling with the demands of being a princess and obviously princess is struggling with playing with the other diner babies and the princess is trying to eat because he's like, I'm the princess and, and they obviously think she's a pauper. And then she gets locked up and thrown into the dungeons. The king is telling the pauper that he'll be queen and he because he wants to retire and go fishing. And the pauper reveals himself before being crowned. He gets sent to the dungeon and they find the princess there. And they both agree that it's not fun to trade places. The pauper he gets free apples and comes and can come to the castle anytime to play games. And she gets to win all the games because she is the princess. And that gets messed up by a volcano and they realize that the grass isn't always greener on the other side that was the moral lesson every episode had like a moral lesson yeah yeah then the then the last episode i watched was robbing hood because the the episodes i watched were the only ones that i could find in english because some of the other ones were in another language and yeah robin hood was another one i found in english they're playing it bowling they're playing bowling, but they call it golf. But the golf rock is missing and Truman finds one, but it's too heavy. And so Truman's telling the story of Robin Hood, who wears a mask and robs houses. But Marshall doesn't like the story. Then he tells the story of Robin Hood, who steals from the rich and gives to the poor. But they still say that stealing is bad, so they're going to need a new villain. And they decide that will be the sheriff of Rottingham. And Robin Hood is now the good guy and he needs a team. And La Brea is like, you have to have a girl hero. Robin Hood ambush the sheriff and they take back the things that the sheriff stole. But Friar Tuck ate all of the food. La Brea wants the girl saved so the story isn't quite done. And the sheriff is forcing Marion to marry him. But Robin Hood saves the day just in time. And Dak steals the rock but he said that he borrowed it and brought it back and they can play their game. And yeah, that was all the episodes of Dino Babies that I could probably muster up. Yeah, it was all right. It was all right, this one. I didn't have anything against it, which is the main thing. Um, it was short episodes. Um, it was about dinosaurs. So yeah, I think it was quite fun, to be honest. All right, so well, we have to pick now between Dino Babies and Muppet Babies. Muppet Babies last, Dino Babies first. Well, you just have to say out of the one you prefer. Definitely Dino Babies. 
We're like we're not even a not even a little hesitation. Damn, I mean, okay. Uh I'm gonna pick uh I'm gonna pick Muppet Babies only because of Kermit. I don't find him funny or endearing or anything else, so Yeah, I think it's gonna be uh, I'm gonna pick uh Muppet Babies simply because it's Kermit the Frog. I had a Kermit the Frog doll when I was a kid. I I like him. I think he's I think I think Kermit the Frog is hilarious. And yeah, I'm 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 gonna go for that. And now we come on to the main event, and boy, this is a hell of a main event. And we're talking Rugrats. And this came out in August 1991. And some of the things happening in the world. The remains of the Prussian king Frederick the Great are reinterred in Potsdam, Germany. Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev is put under house arrest while vacationing in Crimea during an attempted coup. It was led by President Gennady Yanayev and seven others. And the coup collapsed in less than 72 hours and is protested by over 100,000 people outside the parliament building. He returns to Moscow three days later and arrests the coup leaders. Iceland becomes the first nation to recognize the independence of the Baltic states and is followed by the US. Doc Hollywood was in the cinemas. And More Than Words by Extreme was in the charts. Rugrats! So this was an animated children's TV series created by Arlene Kalaski and Gabor Supo and Paul Germain for Nickelodeon. It focuses on a group of toddlers most prominently and their day-to-day lives, usually involving life experiences that become much greater adventures in the imaginations of the main characters. It premiered on August 11th, 1991 as the second Nicktoon after Doug and before the Ren and Stimpy show. Production was initially halted in 1993 with the last episode airing in 1994. And from 95 to 96, the only episodes that were broadcast were a Rugrats Passover and Rugrats Hanukkah, two Jewish themed episodes that received critical acclaim during the time. And after the end of the show's production run, Rugrats began to receive a boost in ratings and popularity and then they ended up doing more episodes. Many of the adventures of the babies find themselves take place in Tommy's house. The parents usually rely on Dee Dee, Stu or Grandpa Lou to babysit the kids while they run errands. Their address is revealed in an invoice of Tommy's first birthday as 1258 N Highland, the original address of Klasky Supo in LA. However, an unnamed specific city or state is never mentioned in the show. Several indicators such as a state flag at a post office, license plate designs on the vehicles and various trips to the Grand Canyon, Las Vegas and the beach place the characters somewhere in Southern California. And yeah, it was formed by the husband and wife duo of Gabor Supo and Arlene Klasky, Klasky Supo, along with Paul Germain, as I said. Klasky Supo had a major animation firm at the time, which also provided services for commercials and music video. Klasky Supo and Jermaine were also animating The Simpsons for Matt Groening at the time, which they would continue to do until 1992. 
when the show's producer James L. Brooks and his company Gracie Films switched domestic production to film Roman. The trio decided to create their own series in reaction to a proclamation by the children's cable network Nickelodeon that they were to launch their own line of animated shows, which would be later called Nicktoons. The network's vice president of animation, Vanessa Coffey, approached them to create a pilot for their new series with the comedic stimulation branching from the antics of Klasky and Supo's infant children and also pulling inspiration from The Beatles' 61-minute pilot episode, Tommy Pickles and the Great White Thing. Yeah, I don't think this uh, pilot, quote-unquote, was never aired, but I think it is available on DVD somewhere. Interestingly enough, Paul Germain felt the series needed a bully and Angelica was based on a bully in Jermaine's childhood who was a girl and then in addition to that it was Jermaine who decided that Angelica would be a spoiled brat. Klasky initially did not like Angelica Pickles and also protested the character's actions in the episodes like Barbecue Story where she throws Tommy's ball over the fence and in a New York article Klasky said and I quote I think she's a bully I never liked Angelica and she never approved of Angelica's character development. Her bullying caused Klasky to disdain her, and Angelica started to become a problem for some of the Rugrats staff. In some instances, her voice actress, Cheryl Chase, had problems portraying a mean Angelica, and to help Chase out, Steve Vixton, one of the writers, would mention that Angelica was the series' J.R. Ewing. The show plays with baby talk, having the group constantly mis mispronounce words and use improper grammar. Challenges often emerge because the babies misinterpret the adults, usually caused by Angelica's deceptive translations. The grown-ups of Rugrats are simultaneously quirky, overcautious and oblivious. The series portrays adults as mysterious eccentrics. Episodes usually centre on a moral lesson that the babies learn during their imaginative explorations. And the baby's dialogue is almost universally translated for viewers into comprehensible English dialogue, but adults in the series cannot understand them. One example of this dissonance is when Tommy says Reptar, the, the title of the title character of a popular in-show children's franchise, but his mother then responds that she heard him say riffraff and that she hopes that he's getting close to speaking full words, indicating that adult characters still hear the dialogue of baby characters as babbling. The translated dialogue of the babies is still presented as infantile English, reflecting their limited understanding of the world. Another major point of this plot convention is that toddlers who have learned to speak the adult language can still understand baby talk because they are at a tra transitional age between the two. And since 1991, Rugrats has generally received positive reviews from critics and fans. And in a 1995 interview, Steven Spielberg who at the time was producing several competing animated series for Warner Brothers, referred to the show as one of the several shows that were the best children's programming at the time. Spielberg described Rugrats as sort of TV peanuts of our time, and it was named the 92nd best animated series by IGN. Rugrats was also considered a strong point in Nickelodeon's rise in the 1990s, and in the press release celebrating the show's 10th anniversary, Saima Zagami stated, and I quote, During the past decade, Rugrats has evolved from a ratings powerhouse, being the number one children's show on TV, to pop icon status. It has secured a place in the hearts of both kids and adults 
who see it from their own point of view. According to Nickelodeon producers, this show made them the number one cable channel in the 90s. Jim Jarvis reviewed Rugrats and stated, when The Simpsons was a segment on the Tracy Ullman show, it was just a belt joke with hip pretensions. As a series, it grew flesh and guts. It was my favorite cartoon until I discovered Nickelodeon's Rugrats, a sidonic, sly, kid's eye view of the world that skewers 30-something parents and Cosby kids. And in 2017, James Charisma of Paste magazine ranked the show's opening sequence as number 11 on the list of the 75 best TV title sequences of all time. Rugrats was noteworthy. This is really significant and important. It was noteworthy among contemporary children's television for depicting observant, identifiable Jewish families. Jewish, Christian and Muslim groups have gave the show high praises for their special holiday episodes. Nonetheless, at one point, the Anti-Defamation League and the Washington Post editorial page castigated the series for its depictions of Tommy Pickle's maternal grandparents, Boris and Minka, accusing their character designs of resembling Nazi-era depiction of Jews. I mean, that's really, really harsh to criticise that. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I think that's harsh. I think that's very harsh. Um, I thought it was quite... Um, I was quite informed by some of the things that they were doing and saying and stuff like that. But I mean... Yeah, yeah. That being said, they were kind of supposed to be Nazi-era Jews, right? I think I think because they're, yeah, they're old. They're from the old country. I liked... but I really liked Boris and Minka. I really I well. liked them. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought they were great. I thought they were great. But... uh. Yeah, and and the whole because yeah, I learned so much. Obviously, we'll talk about it when we talk about the episodes. But like the the Hanukkah and the Passover episodes, I man, I I learned so much from watching those. And I remember as a kid watching it, and it was it was really really good because it was like a different perspective. And I think Tommy was like maybe not the first, but like probably the most like visible Jewish kid in all of like cartoons and it would have been great to have a Jewish person join us and uh, give us uh, that angle. But honestly, I, I thought, I thought it was great. And yeah, like the anti-defamation league. Yeah. Well, anti-defamation league, they, they'll poke holes. I guess anyone could poke holes in everything, I guess. Find one little thing. And in the October, 2001 issue of wizard magazine, a leading magazine for comic book fans, they released the results of the 100 greatest tunes ever as selected by their readers. Rugrats ranked at number 35. Three other Nicktoons, SpongeBob SquarePants, Invader, Zim and Ren and Stimpy also placed on the list. In a list of TV lands, the 2000 best things about television, ranking the all-time TV shows, channels, commercials, people, catchphrases, etc. Rugrats is ranked number 699. Angelica Pickles placed seventh in TV Guide's list of top 50 greatest cartoon characters of all time in 2002 on September 2013 in honor of their 60th anniversary Rugrats earned a spot on TV Guide's 60 greatest cartoons of all time list Rugrats gained over 20 awards during its 13 year run including four daytime Emmy awards six kids choice awards and its own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame the series became a hit garnering high ratings and anchored Nickelodeon as the network's top-rated show from 95 to 2001. 
It was Nickelodeon's longest-running cartoon until SpongeBob SquarePants aired its 173rd episode in 2012. The show is Nickelodeon's third longest-running series now, behind SpongeBob SquarePants and The Fairly Odd Parents. Now, in terms of the characters, it focuses on the experiences of a courageous, adventurous one-year-old baby named Tommy Pickles and his group of playmates, several other infants and toddlers, some of whom debuted later in the series, Chucky, who is Tommy's bespectacled, red-headed, insecure, cowardly two-year-old friend, the twins, Phil and Lil, noted for their revolting eccentricities and love of digging for and eating insects and earthworms, Tommy's baby brother, Dill, who was born in the Rugrats movie, Angelica, Tommy, and who is their outrageously selfish three-year-old cousin, who is a rival of his friends and a main antagonist of the program. Then we get Kimmy, who becomes Chucky's stepsister, who was introduced in Rugrats in Paris, and Kira, I think he's his stepmom. And you've got Susie, who's a good-hearted neighbour of the Pickles family, Angelica's schoolmate, frenemy and rival. And they like Susie a lot better than Angelica. The other characters depicted in Rugrats include the baby's parents, who are often portrayed as often being easily distracted, leaving their young children free to emancipate themselves from such restraints such as playpens or strollers and venture out to explore. Such adult figures include Dee Dee and Stu Pickles, Tommy and Dill's mother and father. She's a sweet, educated and loving mother who decides to return to college in one episode. Stu is an often feckless toy inventor whose designs have been known to either fail or break. The other parents are Chaz Finster, who is a widower and stereotypically nerdy and mild-mannered father. He later remarries Kira, who is Chucky's sweet-natured, kind and understanding stepmother. Later, just his mother, because I think she adopts him and then becomes his mother. Drew Pickles, who is Angelica's indulgent and doting father who pampers his daughter to a ridiculous degree. Charlotte Pickles, Angelica's workaholic mother, who overindulges her daughter equally, if often seen talking on her cell phone with an employee of hers named Jonathan. Although neither of them are afraid to put their foot down when they feel she's getting out of line. Betty DeVille, Phil and Lil's kind but boisterous feminist mother. I like her. She's great. And Howard DeVille, the mild-mannered, soft-spoken father of Phil and Lil. Susie has um, parents and uh, elder siblings. And they also make appearances in a couple of episodes. And another major adult character includes Lou Pickles. Drew and Stu's father and Tommy and Angelica and Dill's grandfather and he's an elderly widower who later remarries Dee Dee's parents and Jewish immigrants named Boris and Minka also appear numerous times and serve as important characters and are often seen bickering. Rugrats also has animal characters including the Pickles family dog Spike and Angelica's pet cat Fluffy. Spike plays important roles but most importantly was always ready to rescue Tommy when he was in danger. There was this whole deal about the Rugrats and um, maybe you've heard of the theory about that they're all dead. And basically Chucky's died in 1986 along with his mum. That's why Chaz is a nervous wreck all the time. Tommy was born in 1988, but he was still born. That's why Stu is constantly in the basement making toys for the son who never had a chance to live. 
the Devils had an abortion in 1990, and Angelica couldn't figure whether it was a boy or a girl, thus creating twins. And apparently, Angelica later on in life dies of a drug overdose. I think they spoke to um, Arlene Klasky, and literally, she was like, "It's rubbish. Don't ever." Yeah, I think it's one of those like, "Yeah, don't ever bring that bull yeah. jive up to me again," sort of thing. Yeah, because I mean, it's a bit of a reach, isn't it? That one. To be honest. But if they're all dead, why are they all picking up the babies and why are they all interacting, communicating with the babies if they, they're all supposed to be dead? Yeah, I mean, it's just a kid's show, isn't it? With, like, kids and getting up to mischief. Yeah, that, that, that theory don't that, that theory don't hold up. And then there was a, an article that I saw on The Ringer written by Claire McNear. And basically, it's the new Rugrats is a thanks, I hate it gift for millennials. How do you do, former kids who now maybe have their own kids? And what she says was, and I quote, make no mistake, this show is aimed squarely as it, at its now grown-up millennial audience. Well, kind of. Like the original Rugrats, this one is meant decidedly for children. It's stuffed with too many kiddie mispronunciations and grossed-out gags for it to be any other way. But it is intended for a very specific group of children, the ones had by the erstwhile children who first tuned in during the 90s. The new Rugrats is designed with an eye to the millennials who grew up begging their parents for reptile-branded cereal. That old audience may or may not be able to meet the show and its long-established depiction of what adulthood ought to be like halfway. I'd like to think anyway that if Tommy Pickles had been allowed to grow up, to take on student loans, move to a city where his chances of owning anything bigger than a closet was essentially nil, get work in a dying industry and other such birthrights, he probably wouldn't have much reason to bother watching either. Damn, that's all I have to say about that. That is someone that's very, very bitter. And yeah, you had um, the two Rugrats films, or I think there was three, because they did do the one with the collaboration with the Wild Thornberries. But yeah, 1998, the Rugrats movie was released and it introduced Baby Dill to the, to the show and to the world. Its worldwide gross was $140.9 million against a $24 million budget, though it received mixed critics, mixed reviews from critics. In a 2000 sequel, Rugrats in Paris, the movie was released with three new characters introduced, Kimi, Kira and Fifi. Kimi would become Chucky's sister and Kira would become his new mother after marrying his father. And Fifi would become Spike's new mate and Chucky's new dog. It too was a box office success and also received a more positive critical reception. And in 2003, Rugrats Go Wild was released. It was a crossover between the Rugrats and the Wild Thornberries. It was the least successful Rugrats film, both critically and commercially. And the film trilogy grossed $299.6 million. And they had quite, they had a couple of spin-off shows. So there was um, Susie and Angelica going to preschool. I mean, that was a, a spin-off. I think they wanted to do one where Susie goes to Atlanta to, and Susie and her family moved to Atlanta to help out, I think, with their grandma's business. I would have loved to have watched that. I so would have watched that. And then I deliberately left out All Grown Up because we're going to be covering All Grown Up as its own show because it became its own thing. I actually remember the episode of the Rugrats where they all pretend that they were all grown up. <laughs> and due to the success of that episode, they decided to make all grown up. And yeah, we're going to 
we're going to cover it and we're going to talk about it on uh, on a later date. So let's talk about this show. That that review you read was quite scathing, wasn't it? Um, oh God, yeah. I mean, Rugrats for for everyone knows Rugrats. Um, I think that I can kind of see where they're coming. Like like the people that were watching Rugrats are now grown up and probably have children of their own. At least some of them. I was one of those people that loved Rugrats, and it's yeah. What can you say about it, man? It was iconic. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows the theme tune. Everyone knows the characters. I think obviously when the people that watched it were, you know, coming into early teens, probably they were like, oh no, this is stupid. I'm never going to watch it. But then when you think back as an adult, you're thinking, yeah, that was actually a damn good show. And I like that. And it's, I think it's got cult status amongst my peers, at least. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I was, yeah, even like as kids who like grew up or whatever i still watch the rugrats well into the into the 2000s it didn't matter but yeah i was slightly older if the rugrats was on tv i'm always gonna watch it yeah it's just still something you can sit down and watch right yeah absolutely and yeah it it it, it, it is incredibly iconic it is elite 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 this is like top five of all time and if it ain't, then I suggest you go back and do your list again. Like honestly, yeah, this was it was great. It was great doing this show. It's really good, like looking at all of the different point of views and angles. Like I said, having Tommy, a Jewish character, on a big elite mainstream cartoon, is is good. I'm all about that diversity. I'm all about that bringing the new and the fresh. That was really, really good to see. They explained the stories really, really well. They even did, I think, a Kwanzaa episode, which I'm sure they did a, a really, really good job at explaining it. And yeah, the kids are very endearing. They're very nice. Um, do you have a favorite character? Um, yeah, probably Tommy, to be honest. I was my 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 favorite's Dill. Okay, Dill Pickles. Yeah. Based on the film. Dill. I haven't watched it enough recently to um to get to that point of like seeing Dill again. I mean, because he was quite a, he was late on, uh, back when I was watching it. So I, I don't remember him too much. No, but Dill Dill was probably my favorite character. Like just the way he is and very demanding and spoiled and 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 all of those things. But no, like Rugrats is royalty. Amazon, like, just show everything, man. Like, y'all ain't got to put, like, one episode or one series. You can put, you can put the whole, like, series. Yeah, let's, let's, let's get right into episodes. Right, so the first one I watched was Tommy's first birthday. So, first thing I wrote was the, uh, the theme's amazing. Like, obviously, yeah. the theme's Goes amazing. Goes without saying. Like, you can put that on and, like, everyone instantly knows what it is. I think that's, like, um, and, and feels happy about it. It shows how kids can destroy the house in a like, like one second. Boom, the house is destroyed. Yeah, I I really like that because you know having kids, I'm watching this from a whole different. Yeah, I was gonna say it's probably gonna hit different for you. I've got that. Um, we'll talk about it later. But that letter, man, I'm not sure if I can read that. I've I, did you actually write it down? I, so I found it and I've got I it found it as well. Read. Yeah, so I'm not sure if I can read it. I'll read it. I'll I'll read it. Don't worry. Because um, that's that's. Oh, I, that got, is... I, I, I got you, man. I'll read the letter. 
Um, right. So uh, this was anyway back to Tommy's first birthday. So it's, it's first Tommy's first birthday, obviously. Dad's talking about a gadget that he's made him, and we obviously this, this the fact that he's an inventor wasn't a surprise because we've we've kind of grown up with this. So, um, uh, <laughs> and this is one thing I know because like um, <laughs> my wife and she she hasn't been able to wear earrings for the, for the last few years because kids grab them and Tommy's got hold of. Uh, Didi's earrings and he's basically trying to pull her ear off you know that made me laugh and then uh, Pop saying and you always get the, the, the people saying oh why are you doing this because they're never going to remember it anyway um, so Pop's just like he's kind of a bit miserable about the whole thing and Tommy's not having his food uh, Stu has an idea he puts the TV on to distract him and then um, tries to put the thing in it but then Tommy's basically seen the dog food and he wants to eat that so and then Pop comes and uh, takes him away I like how, uh, sorry, I like how Didi is trying to look for Dr. Lipschitz's book about parenting. Oh, oh my God. Why didn't I write that bit down? So basically, this is, this was literally like the wife and I's approach to parenting. I'm like, why do you need to read books about parenting? She's reading all the books about parenting and... Um, was one of them know, by Dr. Lipschitz? No, I don't know. Gina Ford? I think was the one that we were reading. <laughs> I don't know. So basically, like, yeah. So this this kind of like resonated with me because I was like, I mean, to be fair, and the books worked. I have to say. So um, I have to hands up and say that I was wrong about that. Dude's down in the basement making something. Adults are outside, and the kids are in the playpen. Tommy wants to eat the dog food, so he kind of rallies the other kids. I think you've been introduced to Phil and Lil here. Um, Angelica's on the way. They arrive and Stu made... Oh, so he made the ring doorbell back in like 1991 or whatever it was. The 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 the, the, the video and the two-way talk and stuff like this. It's not 1990. Well, he's made it already, man. They ask Angela about the dog food and she says she's basically in. She kind of wants in on this. Uh, Dee Dee's mum and dad come in and they foil Tommy in his first attempt to, to get the dog food. This is where you realise that she's from a Polish, Jewish-Polish background. So... Like full on, like you were saying earlier, from like the kind of the war era. They open presents and they get the fire truck, and then he opens up the hover armor, but there's no batteries in it, which is the the gadget that Stu's made him. They make have a baby monitor, but the adults are playing with it. Uh, Tommy cries because he wants a dog food. The delivery man delivers a puppet stage, but with no puppeteers, which is Dee Dee's furious about. Um, Stu and and Drew um, ends up doing the the puppet show, but they end up arguing. Um, Tommy makes it to the bowl, but Spikes ate it all, and they see one on the top shelf, so all the kids get uh, kind of on each other's shoulders trying to get it. Chucky powers up the hover armor, and it's basically a drone, again, like really modern technology that's here now. And they get the dog food, but they make a huge mess in the kitchen. Tommy flies into the cake. Gran and Grandpa are not happy about the cake because um, it's not chocolate. Um, Pops put a can of dog food on the floor. The kids eat it and then pretend to be dogs. It's quite sweet. So one thing I really liked about this was that it really gives you like an insight into, you know, and I think really successfully shows you what the kids think about certain things and why they do certain things. Because, why you know, you kind of think, why would you do that as a like, child? But then it kind of gets into their imagination. I really, really like that. I thought it was really cool. So the next episode I watched was the barbecue one, the barbecue story one. But this is unnoted, so I'm going to try and remember as best I can. So they're having a barbecue. Tommy's favorite toy. They were all the kids together. Tommy's favorite toy is the barbecue. So the barbecue, the ball. And he says it's the bestest toy ever. Spike's waiting by the barbecue to get some scraps. Angelica comes and basically boots the ball all the way over 
the fence and the kids go and get it. When they get the ball, this is going to be really quick because I can't remember the ins and outs of it. But the, when they get the ball, there's a dog in another garden and the dog tries to eat them and then Spike kind of hears the dog trying to attack them and he goes into like full-on protection mode and bashes the other dog up, picks Tommy up and takes him up to the other garden. Yeah, so, I mean, for me, because I watched both Rugrats movie and Rugrats in Paris and I will talk about those in a little bit. But um, I watched Meet the Carmichaels. So this was when we are introduced to Susie. And yeah, she's basically moving into the neighborhood, her and her family. It's actually really good because they're like a sort of a middle class, wealthy black family. And the mum, she's Lucy, she's a go-getter. And um, Stu loves Randy because he's a cartoon maker. And... Uh, He's always like just pestering him with questions, going, "Oh my god, uh, you're that guy," and then and all and all that stuff. And then Susie's upset because she can't find her room, and so Tommy's basically helping her find her room. And then all of her things are planted into a room, and she is she's happy. And the other one I watched was Susie versus Angelica, and so obviously Angelica is basically being a bully, and then Susie's like, "Yeah, leave them alone," and Angelica's like, "Oh what? She goes, you're gonna have to deal with me." And they basically have all this competition. And Susie's just basically wiping the floor with Angelica. And Angelica tries to cheat in the in the last race to see who's the best. And then they decide that there's so, certain things that Angelica can do best. And then there's some certain things that Susie can do best. And I actually quite like their uh, friendship. So are we ready to talk about some of the specials? I watched Hanukkah, but I didn't watch Passover. All right, I'll do, I'll do Passover. And then you can do um, Hanukkah. Okay. Okay. So I didn't really make a great deal of notes, but we'll uh, we'll do something. So uh, they're basically going to Boris and Minka's house for Passover Cedar, and obviously they're all and obviously they they're all going there. So I thought which was really nice. So like Chucky and Chaz are there. I think even Phil and Lil and and and, and all of them went as well. And so obviously they're like, oh, we're going to Passover. And Angelica's like, where's the present? Where's the present? It's like, yeah, it's not really that kind of holiday. And Boris and Minka are bickering about what cutlery they should use. And so Boris is like, I've been using this since the old country, since the thing. Don't get on my nerves, woman, and all of that. And then Minka's like, well, you should clean it then. They look dirty. And he's like, yeah, yeah I'll try. We'll clean it up. And then he's like, you know what? I wash my hands with this. I'm gone. So he just disappears. And like Minka, every time they see Boris, because obviously uh, they're all going and the Stu comes to the house and he's like, oh, hey, Minka, where's Boris? He, he's great at this Passover and being a host. She's like, Boris! <laughs> and then obviously Dee's like, Stu. And then someone else is like, oh, nobody makes um, souf- what, oh, what's the kefilte fish that's it yeah nobody makes kefilte fish better than boris and it's like boris and it's like stop saying boris and then obviously angelica's like grandma grandma minka where's 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 boris and then she's like ah oh, boris 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 and then all the kids are are, are playing and they're, they're trying to figure out what passover is all about and so i think the kids end up going on some kind of like mission or whatever and then they're running to Boris, who's like in the attic somewhere, and it doesn't close. 
So he's like to the kids, you know what? I'm going to tell you the uh, the story of uh, Passover and why Jewish people celebrate. And so he's basically just sitting there and he's telling them the story. And obviously all the parents are like, where are all the kids gone? And so every time someone would come in, they'd be like, don't close the boom door. And so Chaz comes and he's sitting down and they're all doing the story. Then I think Drew comes and he's like, don't close that door. And so obviously telling the story of Passover, how Moses saved his people from slavery. And obviously they're doing it in the form of babies. So Angelica is playing the role of Pharaoh and Tommy's being uh, Moses. And he's like, you know, let my let my babies go and all, and, and all of that, which was very, very cute. And obviously, uh, Angelica's like, "Okay, okay, fine. I'll let I'll let the people go because I think he put like frogs and locusts and things like that. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. And then moving the goalposts. And then obviously the separating of the water and and all and all and all of that story and basically explaining that. And yeah, I thought it was uh, again so well done. Really, really well for 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 kids and babies. If you're watching that, like." And you, and, you, and you want them to learn about holidays. Honestly, this was tremendously done. Really, really, really well done. As was the Hanukkah episode. Yeah, agreed. So the Hanukkah episode uh, starts off where... Um, so I didn't know the story of Hanukkah. I'm not sure about yourself. Um, obviously, the Passover is more... Because I think Hanukkah is kind of like a, a Jewish history. Yeah. And, and uh, whereas, like... Um, uh passover is more from like the biblical side and yeah and carries through to christianity and to islam as well so i wasn't aware of the hanukkah one so king antiochus is that how you say the name comes and tommy and chucky are basically trying to read these things and he says our four fathers read this and our five five fathers did and our six fathers did so i found that quite funny yeah and, um, i did like that <laughs> and the romans came and they took the books um, and Judah the Maccabee comes to challenge the raids on the Romans. We go kind of like to the normal bit where it's not like kind of fantasy anymore. So Jewish dad, um, Boris, eats, he's eating a potato pancake. And he says, the miracle of this is that it's clogged our people's arteries for 2,000 years and yet we survive. Which I thought was like fantastic. Um, he has a rival who made uh, made the paper instead of him. Even though it's just his story, but the other guy's picture, his name's Shlomo. So... This guy, Shlomo, is his rival, and basically he's always one better than him. And he says, he says, he says some other bits and pieces, but he says, "I caught a cold, then he caught pneumonia, then I start a family, he starts a business." And like <laughs> I did that. again. I like that as well. <laughs> yeah, so I, I thought that was quite quite great. Um, uh, kids are old team what... Boris, man. Boris is my guy. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think we're invested in Boris, right? So, yeah. um, kids are wondering what's up. The can there's a candle, like the menorah is 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 lit, and they think it's Tommy's birthday. He's trying to blow it out. Then um, Angelica tells him it's Hanukkah. Um, she says you have to pronounce it with the ha. <laughs> all, um, all the spit coming all out. The spitting coming out. Yeah. Um, then Stu, so, so Dee Dee, <laughs> Stu's making this Hanukkah Hanukkah thing to for the for the um for the uh for the synagogue and then uh dd says i really hope he's not doing anything inappropriate and he's really trying to be supportive of the thing and i recommend anyone to go and see what he actually built because i think it's like some like some real um kind of um jewish 
culture. He's mashed in some like kind of Jewish uh, stereoty- stereotypical music and uh, stuff that's not so quite appropriate to put on a thing. And like the what's the spinning one called? Dreidel. No, not the dreidel. The like the Catherine wheel type thing. Watch that scene. It's hilarious. Um, him in the basement with his uh, all his uh, gadgets and stuff. Uh, and Jello's, uh, yeah, we've got to that bit. Uh, so Boris is going to the synagogue and Angelica wants to watch the Cynthia special. Uh, the kids decide to take down the meanie of Hanukkah because they think that, um, that's what they're going to the uh, synagogue for because uh, Boris isn't happy about it. Angelica isn't happy about the pancake, so she goes to try and find a TV. Um, Stu's late and accidentally in in a Christmas parade with uh, the, with the menorah on his car. I thought that was great. Angelica caught looking at the tour, and the rabbi starts to tell her stories about it. She runs off because she sees the janitor pushing a trolley with a TV on it. The kids attack. Oh, so they've looked everywhere to find the meanie of Hanukkah, and they find him um, on the stage with uh, with with Boris. So they they attack him because they see him being mean to Granddad, and they get put into the crash. Angelica says. All you need for a grown-up to go to sleep is a TV, so the kids go and get one for her. Uh, Boris and Shlomo have a fight on stage, and then they kind of have this really touching moment where it turns out that, like, from the other perspective, like, it turns out that he couldn't have children, which is why he started a business. Um, yeah, it's quite sad to, like, mm. you know, to, to really touching moment between them two because they kind of, like, get each other for the first time in, like, you know, since their childhood and stuff. So, um, and then this other guy's on stage and he's doing like t- like kind of like a Shakespeare thing and he's like to be all Maccabee um, uh, then the kids get the TV but they break it and Shlomo ends up reading a book about the story of Hanukkah and how the lamp was burning after eight days even though there was only one day of oil in it then Stu comes with a menorah it blows up and then shows Boris and Shlomo with the kids together on the stage and that's the last note I wrote and I thought that was a really one, informative, because I didn't have a clue about the story of Hanukkah before, uh, to my shame. Um, and two, like, um, it was really touching at times, you know? Um, I yeah. thought it was a really, really, really nice episode. Yeah, that's why I thought, that, like, these episodes that they do, like the, the Passover and the Hanukkah, it's, like, really endearing. It's really educational. And you're, you're, you're learning. And this is, like, something that you you would show to kids to to watch so that they would understand and having this being played on nickelodeon in the height of the 90s this was this is really important and really really good so uh right let's uh let's go into mother's day now right first thing i'm going to say about this episode is this episode is a normal episode it's not that special until you get to the very end like this is this is kind of like there's no it's normal. Like you don't feel any like super emotions about it until like the end. Anyway, I didn't. So, um, well, I did. Yeah, but it says like it is, what I mean is it's sad, but it's not like there's no emphasis put on the fact that mummy's uh, uh, Chucky's not got a mum. No, but they're like you're you, you don't realize it because obviously the kids are saying, "Oh, it's Mother's Day," and Angelica's saying, "I need to make a present for mother." And then obviously all the other kids are like, yeah, we need to make presents. And then Chucky's like, you know what? I'm just going to sit here. Yeah, I mean, that's sad. But what I'm saying is it like, and then it, I th- yeah, okay. So until you get to that bit, it's basically like a normal episode, right? And then it kind of like chucks this like truth bomb on you. No, but it's not it was just the letter. Because it's like throughout. 
They talk about finding a mum for Chucky. Obviously, they do it in the typical style of Rugrats. Where, so like, when they... he sits down is probably the biggest, the, the turning point of, right? When he sits down and says, I'm not, I haven't got a mum, so I'll just wait here. That's probably the bit. No, and, 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 when, and when the kids find the box with all the stuff inside. Oh, yeah. And when Chucky yeah, yeah. talks about his dream. Always, and the dream. Had, okay, yeah. yeah. All right, take it all back. I take it all back, yeah. It starts off normal and then goes into some weird emotional travesty kind of thing going on. Um, right, do you want to do this one? Because I think you, you kind of do your episodes rundowns way better than I do. Right, okay. So, um, yeah, it starts with Angelica. She's making presents. She's trying to make something out of macaroni. And she's telling all the kids about Mother's Day. And now all of a sudden it's getting the kids thinking, oh, what should we get for our mums? And so they're just basically like scrambling and looking around. The kids are looking for presents in the back of the sofa. Stu's got this whole breakfast in bed with a robot invention, but it's like probably like three o'clock in the afternoon. And indeed he's like in bed, like going, it's okay, I'll wait. And then the robot goes out of control. Chucky comes over, but he obviously he's like, look, Mother's Day is only kids with mums. And Chaz has this box with all of the stuff con- that contains, you know, from his, uh, his wife. And so, yeah, the key, and then obviously, and then the kids are all remembering the first time that they meet their mums. So they have the dreams where they first see their mum for the first time. And the Chucky's like, I see someone in my dream who's like holding me and she's telling me not to be afraid of the little butterfly that flies onto my nose. And then Tommy, Tommy suggests that they go find Chucky a mum. And then Lil's trying to do it first, but she's not very good. And then Angelica offers to be a mum to Chucky. So Chucky is working on her macaroni project. And she's like, you're now going to be called Blaine. It's a TV name and Chucky's boring. Then Chucky has to pick out a flower for Angelica. And obviously Tommy's like, why are you taking advantage of, 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 of him? What's the matter with you? You're, you're being really out of order. And then Chucky's like, my dad can be my mum. Because he's been my mum and dad for such a long time. That was amazing, that part. That was amazing. And then he's having a look at all of the... Uh, and the babies go inside like the cellar and they're still looking. And they... Uh, find that they find Chaz's box with a diary and a picture of Chucky's bum. Meanwhile, downstairs in the basement, um, what's her name? Betty, she's working on Stu's computer going, oh, the perfect parent or the perfect mum. And she's typing everything you need to do. She goes, there you go. And then all of a sudden it's like, ah, it's about to explode. I like it when she says, um, if anyone criticizes your child, you get him in a standard headlock. <laughs> I liked her. She was great. She was really, really great. And so, yeah, Phil and Lil give a plunger to their mum. Tommy gives a rose to Chucky. Um, Tommy gives a rose to Chucky. Tommy gives a rose to his mum and same as Stu. And she's like, oh, my two boys gave me a rose. That's very, very sweet. And then Chucky's giving uh, a picture of his mum. And then obviously Chaz is like, where did you get it from? And then obviously he's like, I'm scared that I'm gonna, you know, he's like, I'm, he goes, the reason why I didn't want to tell Chucky, yeah, I don't want to make him miss that. And then obviously Dee Dee was a really beautiful line going, you can miss him together. And then it's like, then you can miss him together. And then he's like, okay, come here. And then obviously he's saying, look, 
this is what your mum did. She planted this uh, garden and she made this whole area just for you. She used to love plants. And then obviously he's saying that, look, she kept a diary when she started to get sick. What was her name? Melinda. Oh, Melinda. Okay, yeah. And then he's like, there's this poem that I have for you. And then obviously the poem. And so what he says, and the poem is, brace yourselves, guys. My sweet little Chucky, though I must leave you behind me, the poem will tell you where you always can find me. When a gentle wind blows, that's my hand on your face. And when the tree gives you shade, that's my sheltering embrace. And when the sun gives you freckles, that's me tickling my boy. When the rain wets your hair, those are my tears of joy. When the long grass enfolds you, that's me holding you tight. And when the whippoorwill when the whippoorwill sings, that's me whispering night night. Yeah, that was that was that was that episode. Oh man. That episode and Parents Day for Hey Arnold always get me emotional. It was a brutal episode to be honest, but I think it was really well done in the in in like the ordinary Rugrats style. Everything was Rugrats about it. It wasn't anything special about the Rugrats episode itself. Just the content, right? It was just how they do that and keep it honest and and true to itself. Yeah, oh, that's that's genius. I, I do you know what? Hats off to these guys, man. Like, yeah, they that was such a, a wonderful episode. Obviously, I'm not a parent, so it probably hits the same. Might hit different because I'm older, but it, it will hit even more different if you are a parent. I think you're watching this. Yeah, I think, um, well, like I said, it was hard for me to even read that poem. So, um, yeah. yeah. And I'm not even a poems guy. All right, cool. So I can talk about the Rugrats movie, which came out in 1998. And the song that you can hear in the background is Take Me There by Blackstreet and Maya featuring Mace and Blinky Blink. This was the main soundtrack of the first Rugrats movie, which I really kind of like. So it's a pretty good song. And so... Yeah, they're having a yeah it starts I think with the, the baby shower, and uh, everybody and Doctor Lipschitz is swearing blind that it's going to be a baby girl that you're going to have, and it's going to be very very nice. And they're having a baby shower, and I think yeah she goes into labour. They go to the hospital, and yeah baby Dill is born, and so Tommy has to go up to meet him for the first time, and. Dill has a his rattle, and the first thing he does is upends it on Tommy's head. Tommy starts crying, then Dill starts crying, and then it just kind of sets the tone for Dill. He's just basically difficult to manage, loudly crying nonstop, refusing to share. And Tommy has a, a teddy bear, and uh, he's trying to get it off Dill, and then. He uh, and then Stu like takes Tommy down to the basement and he's like he's having a conversation about being a big brother and responsibility. And he was saying, look, I know it's tough having Dill around because he's a picture of Dill. And then Tommy just like puts the picture down. And he's like, look, I get it. I know it's tough. I know it's hard. But he's like, look, you're going to be a big brother now. You got to have responsibility. And so he gives him this a locket with a picture of Tommy and Dill with a watch inside and it's basically you know that's your responsibility that's your symbol now that that's your little brother 
you got to look out for him no matter what. And Tommy pronounces it as sponsatility. So he's like to the other kids going, I've got my sponsatility and I have to look after Dill now. And then the other babies are annoyed with Dill. So they're like, you know what, we need to take him back to the hospital. And so they end up driving recklessly through the streets in their reptile wagon that Stu built a contest for Japan. Then they crash into the woods and they realize that they're lost. And they are going to a cabin where they think that they can go home. And they encounter a runaway circus monkeys. Dill gets taken away by them. And the Tommy's trying to look for them. And But then Chucky, Phil and Lil are like, yeah, we're better off without them. And Tommy and Dill are forced to take shelter in a storm. Tommy's trying to take care of him. But Dill is being selfish and drinking all the milk, taking a large blanket for himself. And then Tommy's like, I bet the kids were right about you. And he has this like banana treat and he's about to pour it all over Dill so that the monkeys will take him. And then Dill's like looking at Tommy like, please don't do that. And then Tommy has a change of heart and he's like, I'm so sorry. We're going to be friends now. We're going to get on. And then there's lots of stuff that happens because I think Angelica's trying to look for Cynthia because Dill stole Cynthia and he kind of took it. And then they all end up going to look for the babies and then they eventually find them. And then, um, yeah, so they, the, the two babies reconcile and then everybody gets found. On Rotten Tomatoes, the Rugrats movie holds an approval rating of 59% based on 51 reviews with an average rating of 5.8 out of 10. And the consensus is that it's charming characters, loads of fun for kids and adults. And then Rugrats in Paris. So at the wedding reception of Lou Pickles and Lulu, there's a little thing where everyone's like, you know what, we're going to have a mother and child dance. So Phil and Lil go with their mom having a dance. Tommy's dancing with his mom. Angelica's looking for her mom and Susie's dancing with her mom. This is before they're playing a game called uh, Godfather. So like, Angelica's pretending to be the Godfather. And then obviously Chucky's like, I want one wish. And he's like, I want I want to have a mum. I want to have a parent or whatever. And obviously Angelica's like, yeah, yeah don't worry. I'm going to work on it. And yeah, they're having their little dance. Chaz is like to Chucky, do you want to go home? And then Chucky's like, yeah, I want, like, like just nodding his head. And they all just go home. And then he's like looking at um, all of the things of like Melinda. And he's like, what do you reckon? Do you think we should have another woman influence in the family? And he's like, yeah, let's 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 think about it. And then Stu gets summoned to Euro Reptile Land, which is a Japanese amusement park in Paris, to fix a malfunctioning reptile robot. And they and they said that um and so basically he mistakenly brings his wife and everybody along because he because he thinks that he's allowed. So he basically brings the whole crew along and they're all in Paris. And so they meet Kira Watanabe, who is Coco's, like, overbearing, like, she makes her work too much and basically treats her like dirt. This is Coco, she's the one in charge. And Kira's got a daughter called Kimi. And, yeah, they, they'll meet her. She's really nice, she's really sweet. The kids get on with Kimi instantly. And so, yeah, and so uh, they talk to Mr. Yamaguchi, I think it is. And Mr. Yamaguchi's like, we need someone that's going to have a promotion, who's going to be a family person, who's going to be able to run a business and 
be sympathetic. And, she, and Kirk was like, I could be sympathetic. And they're like, yeah, but you're not married. You're single. And so they're like, you have to marry someone. And Angelica is basically sitting there overhearing. And so Coco's like, what did you hear? And Angelica's like, well, if you don't want me to blab your whole secret, I can find you a spineless human being that you can marry potentially. And so she kind of sets the groundworks for Coco to meet Chaz. And every time Chaz is trying to talk to Kira and try to talk to her, she's like always like getting in the way. And so you've got Kira who's like in her ear basically reciting her favorite poem and it ends up being Chaz's favorite poem and Chaz is thinking Coco is really nice. And so he's like, oh, we, we like the same things. And then she's like, yes, of course, I love kids. And, and then obviously she's trying to look after Dill and Dill is just basically throwing up on her, just being a real nuisance. And obviously it's like, yeah, Dill senses something that he doesn't particularly like. And then it reaches a point where Chad is like, oh, I think we should get married. And then obviously Dean is like, are you sure? You're not, you're not moving too quickly. But he's like, look, I think I like her. And I think Chucky likes her too. And then obviously Chucky doesn't like her. Chucky's just like, yeah, keep her away. And then obviously Chucky's thinking, you know, you hear the story of Reptar. And basically the story of Reptar is that Reptar is this big dinosaur who scares everybody in the village except for the princess. And so Chucky's like, the princess is going to be my mum. And so he's basically going to the princess. And there's this like show that they're watching. And the princess, she's got this beautiful voice and she's singing. And then Coco like gets in the way. And she's got the little thing on and she's doing the whole singing going, I am the princess and Chucky, you're going to be mine. Basically like just basically tricking Chucky. And then in the end, she's like right to Jean-Claude, her other assistant is like, you need to lock these kids up so that we can get married. And then you can just bring them out when I said I do, and it's too late. And then obviously Kira's like, I'm not going to let you do this. I'm not going to let you ruin this man's life and use him. And then obviously she throws Kira out and then they even lock Angelica up. And Angelica's like, what about me? It's my idea. And obviously she's like, you got a big mouth. I'm going to keep you locked up. And then the babies are going onto the big reptile machine that Stu invented and they going all the way to Notre Dame. And just before they do that, if anyone has any reason why these people should not get married, speak now, but have all your peace. And then you've got Chucky running out going, no. And Chaz is like, that's your first word. You can talk. And he just basically runs up to his dad and he's like, no, 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 no. And then Chaz is like, yeah, I'm not going to marry you. This is not going to happen at all. And then he goes and he's like to Kira, like, oh, it was you who recited the poem. And then they start to get to know each other. And she gives Chucky a hug. Again, this was really emotional stuff, man. This, this, this was a really, really good film. And, yeah, she hugs Chucky and then Chaz is hugging Kim and he's like, we're going to be a family. All of us together, we're going to be a family and you're going to have a new sister. And, yeah, Kimmy, she gets along with them. I really like her. She's she's another a good addition. You know like how cartoons sometimes fumble the bag a little bit when they bring in new characters? I think Rugrats did it brilliantly well, like introducing characters who kind of, 
seamlessly fall in with um with the crowd so yeah this was a, a really really good film and yeah they they get married and uh yeah that was uh rugrats in paris and then i did watch one episode of the sort of the new era called baby power and this was where they thought that um they think that dill is too weak because he can't like struggle and he can't win tugs of war and so they they put like baby powder thinking it's baby power and then every time dill like does a little shake with his rattle he and they think that he's causing the earthquake but then they like throw water on him and then everything all calms down and then he's right as rain again and then there yeah, that was the, the 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 last episode i watched of the rugrats i mean obviously i didn't watch as much as you um but i i think that this this cartoon man is it smashed it i smashed it out of the park and i think that even now it's it's great like the uh the just looking back on it and the things that they were achieving and things that they were doing like hardly any cartoon will come close to this I think it is so like you have like cartoons and programs that are just going to like live long in infamy. So like the Simpsons is one of them. I think Hey Arnold is one of them. And I think Rugrats is another. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like, it's just one of those things that like you hear the theme tune of it and, and instantly know exactly what's going on. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, this was just absolutely outstanding. And they 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 tell the even though it's a kid's cartoon they do the difficult stuff of explaining things really really well and i think they probably did it as good as any cartoon out there ever in my opinion i think they did it better then than 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 than, than other cartoons and yeah the films were very very endearing there was just basically a long episode pretty much and no yeah I thought I thought the first film was pretty good I thought Rugrats in Paris I thought that was outstanding actually I thought that was an excellent film I thought they I thought that one was 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 better and yeah I don't I don't have much else to say other than we'll probably do all grown up and it'll give us an excuse to talk about these guys even more so uh watch this space when we talk about all grown up and yeah, I'll, I'll bring that episode to an end. Warm welcome to listeners from Taiwan. Totally missed out you guys, but uh, got some uh, listeners from uh, Taiwan. Thanks guys for listening and uh, please continue to listen to uh, Yesterday's Capers. And uh, we're available wherever you get your podcast from. Make sure you've got the uh, notification on your phone so that you can get new episodes as and when they are available and uh, yeah you can find us on youtube on youtube.com for slash yesterday's capers we appreciate the youtube listeners and the followings and uh, yeah keep keep doing it keep subscribing keep listening as long as they don't bug out with the copyright you can find us on the socials at instagram it's yesterday's capers one on facebook it's facebook.com for slash yesterday's capers twitter it's yesterday capers you can find me on the socials at Abdullah underscore Merlim on Instagram, Abdullah Merlim on Twitter. And you know what? If you're Jewish and you're listening to the podcast, you can tell us how you felt about um, 
these episodes of uh, of the Rugrats. You can give us our point of view. We'd appreciate that very, very much. And yeah, in general, really, you could just tell us how, how some of these shows and cartoons feel. So uh, yeah, join us next time for another episode of Yesterday's Capers. Hey.